0: All right, Um, as we uh, dive in today, I want to just remind us, I want to stand back for a minute. and talk just a little bit about the context of what what we're reading uh, within 1 John. I know we've kind of reviewed this, but context is important. That's why uh, in, uh, when we do city Bible reading, the first question in the journal is, "What did the original author intend to intend uh, to communicate to his original audience?" Uh, that helps us uh, not go uh, apostate, not not go heretical uh, in understanding uh, uh, what, uh, what 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 Scripture is trying to tell us. Um, so just as a re- review, um, John is uh, John, the writer of, of this epistle is John the Apostle, and he's writing in his old age, and he's writing to a group of Christians uh, that uh, he kind of considers his spiritual children. Uh, these are uh, these are men and women who he has preached the gospel to, who he has cared for, who he has prayed for, who he has loved over a long period of time, uh, and uh, and we're told. Uh, later on in uh, in this epistle, uh, we're told in chapter 5, verse 13, that, uh, that John's purpose of writing, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So We have the purpose uh, of, of his writing there. It's so that you may know that you have eternal life, so that you have confidence uh, that you are a child of God. And so the context, that so we haven't really... I've, hinted at, uh, maybe touched on it last week just in a sentence, but I want to unpack it just a little bit, is uh, what was happening here is in this group of Christians, uh, there, were, uh, there was another group um, who, were, who were a group of false teachers, uh, and they were, uh, they were what we now know as Gnostic teachers. They were Gnostics, and they had begun influencing uh, the believers here, and the Gnosticism um, taught that the physical world was evil and the spiritual was good, right? Um, so, uh, so, therefore, because that was their paradigm, that was their teaching, um, they would teach that Jesus only appeared to be human because it couldn't be that Jesus was actually human if the physical world was evil. Um, so, Jesus only appeared to be hum- human. Uh, but also, they would teach, um, to, to some extent, that, that the flesh is beyond hope um, the, anything in the physical world is beyond hope and so there was a there, there was a subset of, of the Gnostics that would teach well you know what it's okay just to give in to your to your fleshly desires if you want to because it doesn't really matter all flesh is corrupt all flesh is evil anyway Um but where the, the real kind of uh, the real rub or the real division uh, would come was that the Gnostics taught that salvation um, was attained through this Gnosis through this knowledge Um, To to be a believer to be a to, to, to receive salvation from God was to have this deep spiritual knowledge of oneself and of one's God and Therefore the duty of the Christian was spiritual not physical and so throughout, the, throughout the, the, this epistle of John, John's actually has this, this is actually pretty common in scripture, John's actually has this word play going on. Um, so the Gnostics would teach the way to salvation is this knowledge, this gnosis, right? Right? And, and John is having this word play and saying no the way you actually know that you're a Christian is through this and we've talked a little bit about some of those uh, some of those diagnostics or some of those tests so it's not through this spiritual kind of um, you know pie in the sky this kind of you know super spiritual knowledge deep spiritual uh, uh, spiritual knowledge uh, of God in oneself, but, uh, but it's through some very practical means. And so we've talked a little bit about those. Um, and I'm going to suggest today, without pushing this too far, I'm going I'm to try to suggest that today in our culture, even in what I would consider, I don't know if it's a movement, but even what, in what I would consider to be gospel-centered circles, that we have some parallels. We have a tendency of some parallels with the error of Gnosticism. And so let me, let me talk to you about that for just a second. Um, in some uh, otherwise orthodox churches, one might be given the impression that the acts of the Christian don't matter nearly as much as the heart or motivation of the Christian. Um, in some uh, some modern day teaching, uh, you might uh, get the impression that the the real work of the Christian life is not really being an ambassador of Christ. That's you know that that might push us too far towards legalism. The real work of the Christian is to believe that you're a child of God and to believe it deeply in your soul. Um you might be forgiven in today's climate to, uh, if, if you believe or if you get the impression that it's okay to indulge yourself in your temptations because after all, I'm stuck in the flesh. And it's not really the real me that's sinning. It's the old man that's sinning. And so as long as I'm stuck in the old man. Until the second coming, until I'm completely glorified, then, you know, I'm kind of, what can I do? What else can I do? So, I'm going to suggest that there's some parallels. Um, and and let's go back to, to 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 John and to the to the letter here. So all this is happening um, in in this church or in this body of believers, and um, and basically John calls them on it. And so that now now John's writing to these uh, to these believers to these children um, to. Um, ...to assure them and to give them confidence. There's been a bit of a a schism or a bit of a divide, and it's thrown the church uh, into um, some confusion. It's thrown the church into some doubt. Uh, It's thrown uh, these believers into some insecurities. And John is writing to his spiritual children, and he he is saying, Here's how you truly know that you are followers... Um, and we've talked about that for the last couple of weeks, right? The way you truly know that you're a follower, is a couple of the diagnostics that we've unpacked. Um, one is that true believers walk in the light. They are honest about their sins. They confess their sins to God and to one another uh, so that they can grow. Um, they do not hide. Uh, they do not live double lives, indulging themselves at night and then going to Bible study during the day pretending the biggest sin is that they don't pray long enough. Um so that's, that's one diagnostic And then last, last week we talked uh, About how the second diagnostic Was that true believers Sacrifice for the good of their friends uh, That they point one another to Jesus um, They encourage one another To move out of darkness and into light And today In, in the passage that we read um, We do not come to another diagnostic uh, But we kind of come to a, um, An excursive Or a, a parenthetical if you will um, and, and so that's what we're going to explore. We're going to, we're going to pause from the diagnostics for a moment, and we're going to dive into to John's uh, excursus here. Um, John's readers, as I've already tried to connect, um, have a similar problem that some of us deal with um, because of this confusion uh, from the Gnostics. Um, because of, of the confusion that had, had, had arisen in, in this body, um, some feared that their relationship with Jesus, their relationship with God, wasn't genuine enough. Some of them feared that their faith wasn't experiential enough, that their belief wasn't true enough. is there is there any relevancy in that in what we experience or what we feel today some of the fears that we may have that our faith that our that that are that our, not not our faithfulness but our beliefs in the gospel aren't deep enough so john is responding by saying the mark of the christian is isn't that you have some super spiritual state of knowledge. It isn't that you have this deep, authentic, um, experiential me and Jesus relationship. The mark of the Christian is seen in his love for others. In his quest to chase away darkness by living more and more in the light the first section of this letter John has attempted to encourage and to embolden his believers that they are not failing or that they are not lacking in their relationship with Jesus because they don't experience deep enough but in so doing he's had to correct their thinking and now John is choosing in his letter to pause for a second and to remind them of this simple truth, your sins have been forgiven. You do have a relationship with the Father. God's word does abide in you, and you have overcome the spiritual one or the evil one, rather. Um, so let's dive into that. To chapter two, verse twelve. Um, I. That, by the way, those are, those are the points. Uh, those are the points of the day sermon. Um, it, we're we're going to follow uh, verse 12, uh, 13 and 14 uh, in order. So uh, first thing, your sins have been forgiven. Um, verse 12, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have, br- have been forgiven on account of his name. My sins are forgiven because of the name of Jesus. Um, the name, uh, when, when someone comes in someone else's name, um, you come bearing everything about that person, about that name, right? Um, you come bearing that person's character, that person's, person's very uh, being. Um, when John says that our, for, our sins are forgiven on account of the name of Jesus, he is saying our sins are, are forgiven because of the obedience of Jesus to the Father, he tells us it is it is Jesus' sacrifice, it is Jesus' power um, that forgives us our sins. So, here's a question for you. This is an actual question, not 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 um, rhetorical. how do you know that your sins are forgiven? How can you be sure that you have a relationship with Jesus? That's that's what John's addressing in this epistle. How do you know? It's not a trick question. That's exactly right. Right. You just you you trust in the name of Jesus, right? You um so so here's so here's the 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 real question. Is the emphasis on your trust or is it on the object of your trust? it's on the object of your trust your sins are forgiven on account of his name how much trust is enough trust? how much repentance is enough repentance? how, how deeply does, does your faith have to go what about when you discover a new sin? Then what? Were you never a Christian? Never forgiven? When you uncover uh, an aspect of, of, of your a flaw in your personality, a flaw uh, in your heart that you didn't realize when you first came to Jesus? See, if we put if we put the emphasis on our trust or if we put the emphasis on the level of our repentance or the authenticity of our uh, our repentance, then there is no confidence. We always live on shaky ground because we're always changing. The only reason that your sins and the only reason that my sins are forgiven is because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, I think I don't think I'm wrong in this in saying that many of us struggle with Christianity because we feel that we don't believe deeply enough. We we go into fits of depression because we experience because we feel that we don't experience forgiveness authentic, authentically enough. We, we try to give up on the faith or give up practicing Christianity because we feel that we don't embrace the gospel joyfully enough. We get stuck on our experience and on our feelings and on the quality of our faith. And when we do that, we take the eye completely off the object of our faith. We take our eye completely off of Jesus and we turn it inwardly on ourselves and on the quality of our faith. And what we do, and when we, when we do that, what is happening is that we are seeking salvation not in Jesus' finished work, but in our experience of Jesus' finished work. Said another way, we stop worshiping Jesus, we stop trusting in Jesus, and we start worshiping our feelings, our experience, our faith, our level of authenticity our level of belief. And when we do that, we are almost always condemned for it. The question's pretty simple. How much faith does one have to possess in order for God the Father to delight in you? Let me ask it again. How much faith Does one have to possess in order for God the Father to delight in you? The answer? Any at all. As soon as the Holy Spirit works in your life, at whatever level you understand that, your sins are completely forgiven. And they're forgiven not because of the quality of your lackluster faith, but they're forgiven on account of the name of Jesus. Because you know Him, it's personal. Because you know, and because on account of His name, your sins Forgiven the desire to come into the lot into the light is the desire to know a person, to put your confidence in a person, to trust in a person. Jesus, the object of your faith, is the guarantee not the depth of your faith, not the experience of the faith, not to the level at which you believe deep, deep down in your heart and in your bones that the gospel is true, but it is on account of the name of Jesus your sins are forgiven. All right, secondly, um, not only are your sins forgiven on account of the name of Jesus, but God's word now abides in you. Um, Look at verse 14. I only chose three verses, and this is still probably going to go long. Um, I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you Once you become a Christian You do not stay the same You change you grow you transform Um, What does it mean that God's word lives in you When John says God's word abides in you or lives in you, does he just mean, uh, is he writing to these people and is he just saying, um, good job, you've memorized a lot of scripture? Um, Is he he saying that they have embodied the word of God in their obedience? I don't don't think so. In in, in the Bible, um, God's word is never separated from his presence. So in Deuteronomy 4, um, we're told that God's people had the nearness of God, okay? And the reason they had the nearness of God is because they had his word. Um, another place to look would be First, uh, first Peter chapter 1. Um, uh, Peter tells us, uh, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Now, but doesn't Jesus tell us that when we are saved, we are born again of the Spirit? See, in the Bible, God's Word is mixed up with His presence. God's Word never goes out independent or void of His presence. Peter is saying to these Christians... Or, John is saying to these Christians, have confidence not in your obedience, not in the sincerity or the depth of your faith. Have confidence because the very presence of Christ abides inside of you. He is in you. And where there is light, where light resides, light destroys darkness. His seed has been planted uh, inside of you. There is power and there is strength in the Lord who dwells within you. Um, and and uh, later on in verse 24 uh, of 1 John, he says, uh, As for you, see that you have heard, what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does not, uh, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. Um, in other words, See what you've heard from the beginning. What is is it that you've heard from the beginning? The Word. That which you have heard from the beginning remains in you, is what he says. And if the Word remains in you, then you will remain in the Father and in the Son. We have confidence, we have um, hope. Uh, that we will change and that we will grow because God has planted His very presence inside you. He is changing you. He is growing you from the inside. So, so think think with me for just a second. Um, Think of a, a, an area in your life um, uh, that in which you were struggling. Maybe a sin pattern pattern in which you uh, keeps cropping up. Uh, something a <laughs> sin or temptation that you have a hard time overcoming. Now think about an area in your life in which um, you were doing well spiritually. You're growing spiritually. You're developing into a, a deeper, deeper relationship. Uh, with God which one of those things is harder to come up with? Um, it's it's so much easier um, for for us to see um, the areas in which we consistently fail. Those are the things that keep us up at night. Um, it's easy to become depressed and, and, and frustrated. It's easy to even sometimes just kind of give up um, on, on trying uh, when we just can't seem to shake uh, a sin pattern in our lives. But to say that you will always struggle with your insecurities to say that you um, are just broken beyond repair, that that this brokenness or this sin pattern, this temptation will never grow, uh, go away, is to actually disbelieve that God is at work inside of you. It's not your morality, and it's not your effort, it's not your... Um, your try harder uh, that, is, uh, the, that is the power inside of you to change you. It is the power of God that changes you. And it will not, it cannot leave you unchanged. Where light resides, darkness cannot. Alright, so let me, let me sum that up. Um, so our confidence... Um, is in, not in our faith, not in the level of our faith, or the deepness of our faith, or the authenticity of our faith. Our confidence is in the object of our faith, of of our faith, a person, Jesus Christ. Once we have some faith, any level of faith, any level of repentance, or any level of trust, God comes into our life. He plants himself himself inside and we will be changed. If you are a Christian, you will change, period. Our confidence is in Jesus. He will never leave us. He will work in us and he will make us more like him. All right. Lastly, thirdly, um, Let's finish verse 14. I'll start back, back at the top. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. And I write to you, fathers, because you know who, him who is from the beginning. I, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. All right, so you have overcome the evil one. Not only have your sins been forgiven on account of the, uh, of the name of Jesus, and not only does God's word and God's spirit uh, abide in you, changing you, actively changing you and transformingly, but, uh, transforming you, but finally, because of the work of Jesus, you have overcome the evil one. To overcome is obviously it's victory language, right? So if if you have a if you're in battle and you have a messenger and the messenger comes and says, "Hey, we have overcome the enemy," then that means that indicates to us that we that you're in such a position of strength relative to that enemy uh, that you have defeated them, you have enveloped them, you have wiped them out. Now that doesn't mean, right? That that doesn't mean that that. Um, that the war is over necessarily, the battle can be the battle can be won decisively, but that does not negate skirmishes. And so, you know, many of you have heard the the illustration, the D-Day illustration, right? Uh, on, on on D-Day, the war was decisively won, but there were still battles, there were still skirmishes that had to happen in order for everything to be um, to uh, to be wrapped up. And John is saying this is where we are our D-Day has been decided our D-Day has happened Um, our position relevant relative to our enemy is one of strength he has been absolutely defeated there is he has nothing on us your confidence should be in your position of strength The, the battle is won But yes, there are still skirmishes. Yes, there are still challenges. There are still temptations. There are still trials in this life. But the battle is won. The evil one, um, the accuser, he, he wants to ruin your life. He wants... Um, he, he wants to, for you to fall in, in the pit of, of depression and of abandonment And, and he plants information um, Inside your mind and inside your heart he, he wants to ruin your life With his schemes and his lies He knows the sins that frustrate you The doubts that you have And the, the depression that you fall in That makes you run from God And from your community And ultimately, he wants to prosecute you in your death before God. And the scary thing about that is, the humbling thing about that is, that if the only information that he had access to was information from this morning, he would have an airtight case against you. You would be prosecuted and convicted. Your trust isn't good enough. Our obedience isn't pure enough. Our repentance isn't deep deep enough. Just this morning that is true. If the case, if, if, if the evil one's case against us is that airtight, how do we overcome? John, in his... In his gospel, um, after Jesus, after he tells the story of how Jesus washed the disciples' feet the Lord's Supper, um, he is preparing them. We're we given this long uh, exhortation. We get a, a big insight to the conversation that happened around that last supper. Um, it's several chapters in the Gospel of John. And, um, and in there... Um, John retells the story of how Jesus is preparing his disciples for what is about to happen, and and part of what he's he's doing, he's saying, we're, "You're get, get just brace yourself because there's going to be a period of deep darkness. There's going to be a period of a deep struggle that we're getting ready to to enter into." Uh, but he says, in chapter sixteen, verse thirty three, "I have told you these things so that." In me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is telling them, You're getting ready to go through some stuff. But I've overcome the world. He's saying, Peter, you're going to deny me. But I have overcome the world. He's my best friends, the people that I've lived life with for the last three years, you're going to flee from me. You're going to fail in, this, in, in the most important event or the most important test in your life. You're going to fail. And, but, don't fear, I have overcome the world. So in our community, our nation, will be, uh, will be struck a massive blow But I have overcome the world. The worst event that the world has ever known. So bad that the sun will literally hide its face. But don't worry. Don't fret. I have overcome the world. If you trust him, you belong to him. Anyone who attacks you, attacks him. The fact that Christ has overcome means that you have overcome. And because Jesus has overcome, because you have overcome, Satan has nothing against us. His lies, his accusations, his case against us amounts to nothing. When he brings his case against us before God, what did we what did we read uh, a couple weeks ago? Um, Chapter two, verse one. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, or um, when anyone sins, because he already told us that if we say that we don't sin, that we're a liar. So when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only ours but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus has defeated the evil one on our behalf. He has took the penalty and he has given us the victory. Jesus took the death for us so that we would ultimately not die? And so, where is our confidence? Is it in the quality of our faith? The depth of our belief? Or is it in the object of our faith? Even in the attacks, even in the lies, and in the confusion uh, of this world, There is only one constant. Our faith, our joy, and our belief in the gospel will have its ups and downs. It will wane. It will come and it will go. But the only constant is the person. The only constant is the object of our faith. And that is the love and the power of God in Christ. Let's pray. Holy Father thank you um, That you um, You gave us your son You gave us uh, You have given us uh, his righteousness Thank you um, Lord Jesus uh, That uh, you took the penalty that we deserved and that you give us the victory um, that uh, that that you uh, sought out um, and that you uh, that you won uh, n- despite us despite our frail uh, frailty. Uh, thank you uh, that we are saved not based on um, the the depth of our faith, but we are f- depth, depth of our faith, but we are uh, saved that we are made righteous uh, that uh, Our Heavenly Father delights in us um, despite our frailties, despite our weaknesses, and only and solely because of your faithfulness um, to uh, your Father and your faithfulness uh, to your friends. Um, Father, we uh, pray that you would continue to pour out um, your Spirit uh, within us. I thank you that... uh, that Jesus is actively chasing away the darkness within us, uh, Father. May we um, experience and may we know. Um, maybe rest assured, even if it's only uh, intellectually, and we don't really uh, feel it, and we don't really feel the joy that we want to feel. Uh, may we know um, the fact and the tr- and maybe have trust uh, in the reality um, that. Our sins are forgiven uh, because of Jesus, and that you are—you continue to work within us, chasing away all darkness, transforming us uh, into the image of your Son, and that you will not stop um, until uh, we are—we um, are glorified, and that we look uh, like Jesus uh, inside and out. Uh, we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.